0: Welcome to Grave Top Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove, and last week we talked about Easter Sunday being the resurrection of Christ. So a week before that, we talked about his crucifixion. Today, we're going to start off with the ascension of Jesus, and we're going to lead into the, uh, the moment of Pentecost. We're going to lead into the early church, and we're really going to be unpacking Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 1 and 2, And the reason that we're going to be unpacking the rest of this month, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts, is because it's arguably one of the best books to look at for theology and when when we want to understand practical and spiritual aspects of our faith. The book of Acts really helps us to understand what happened directly after Jesus' resurrection and how the early church responded. It's really a great resource for us as, uh, as Christians for our next steps, and it, it makes me think about a moment where I had some people knock at my door one time, and I'm sure I've shared this story many times before, but I had some people knock at my door, and they were trying to argue with me about my faith, and they were trying to convince me of different aspects of my faith that I simply did not believe in. I didn't believe it aligned with Scripture biblically, and they, I want us to understand that they came to my door prompted with Scriptures to try to prove me wrong, but I was able to refute every single argument that they made with simply using chapters and stories from the Book of Acts. It's, it's honestly... A great resource, and my heart in today's message is for us to be able to analyze these stories and these passages so that we can get better references and better guides for our faith journey because you should always know why you believe what you believe. It's one of our values as a church, and it's one thing for me to tell you, but it, well, my heart is, this, is to be able to show you where you can learn yourself. And so I want us to get started with the ascension. And I'm going to read a good portion of Scripture, and then we're going to talk about it. The heart that I want us to grasp from the ascension of Jesus is that the word of God always gives clarity and direction. The word of God always gives clarity and direction. and In fact, the Bible says, it declares that Jesus is the word in the flesh, that he's the word of God in the flesh. And so whenever we get closer to Jesus, he gives better clarity and better direction. It says in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, it says, Once when he was eating with them, he commanded, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but just in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel from, and restore our kingdom? Now, let's pause for a moment. I want us to, to pull a couple things. One, notice that, that there's this emphasis on the Holy Spirit, that Jesus says, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And there's such an emphasis that he makes this distinction that you will, it, it, it beckons the idea that you will know when you're ready to, to become apostles in a sense once I send you the Holy Spirit, and so it's something that they will be aware of, something that they will recognize. It's not going to just be this this goosebump feeling. It's not going to just be a vibe, but that they are going to be able to distinctly tell that Jesus sent them the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was so necessary that He said, "Don't do anything until I send you the Holy Spirit." And I, it grasps for us. That this idea that the Holy Spirit is what dwells within us it is our gift from Jesus Christ I, I remember when we first had our daughter joy and and we were so proud and teaching her you know little Christian things and someone uh, someone's like oh that's so great and they said joy so where is Jesus and and Jesus uh, and joy pointed to this guy and said in heaven and they they looked all like discouraged and they're like oh he's in your heart and I looked at Lauren and I'm like, "Come on." <laughs> and the the truth is it was that's not biblical. Jesus is not in your heart. That's the Holy Spirit. Jesus truly Joy was right. Jesus sits on the throne in heaven. Jesus is not in a heart. The Holy Spirit is what connects us to God the Father to the the doorway of Jesus Christ. And and so the Holy Spirit is that gift living inside of us. And that's that is what is our 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 power and our authority from heaven lives and dwells within us, and that's the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus says, don't do anything until I send it to you. It gives this necessity, this understanding of how we need the Holy Spirit. And the reason I find this meaningful to talk about is because I feel like we don't give the Holy Spirit a lot of rep. You know, we don't give him the, the, the clout that he deserves when it comes to us being as Christians. We, we give some side tags, but we put so much, we put all the emphasis on Jesus. As, and I'm, in no way do I'm trying to project that we take glory away from Jesus. But to understand that the Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity, That is just as much part of the Trinity as it is of Christ and God the Father. And that we must acknowledge the Holy Spirit's workings in our lives and and how much we need it. The other thing I want to point out from this part of the scripture is is about how the, the disciples, they are still perceiving that Jesus came to establish this earthly kingdom on earth saying, when are you going to reestablish Israel as the, the number one dominant country in the world? And it, it shows that as they're bringing this to Jesus, that they had still not yet comprehended Jesus's full mission of establishing this eternal kingdom. And they still saw it as a physical, earthly one, as a, as a natural governmental system. And it shows that we still we could grasp one scripture, that we may have something in part, but that it may not be correct, that we should always look at what what we're believing skeptically through scripture. They bring their idea to Jesus, and again, Jesus gives clarity and direction. When we bring something like that to Jesus, he's able to expound more of what that scripture was actually intending to say and how many of you know that we often misinterpret and misuse scripture and whenever that's why it's so necessary for us to expound on it the most that we can bring it to god bring it in prayer so that we have a better a better understanding of the complexity of what it might be actually saying now continuing what it says it says that he replied the father alone has the authority to set those times and dates and they are not for you to know but You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up. Into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? And Jesus has been taken away from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So let's pause here and understand something. In their response, in the response of Jesus to them, as they're asking, when's judgment day? When's the end of the world? When's everything that makes sense? Jesus responds saying, that's not for you to know. But what is for you to know is your mission. And he reestablishes and reaffirms his mission for us as believers is spreading the gospel everywhere. And I think that it, it gives us this, this imagery that I feel like still applies today. As they're seeing Jesus leave, and they're just they're just waiting so long to the, where their eyes are straining they can no longer see Jesus but they're still waiting and watching into the sky to see what's going to happen next to the point where God had to send these angels to say hey get a move on now <laughs> get get going do what he said he's not going to come back and nothing's gonna you're not going to see anything don't wait for it do what he called you to do because I feel like in our world today especially ever since 2020 I feel like a, a lot of people started coming to church with the thought and belief that. It's the end times, dog. We we need to get ready. <laughs> and we have this idea, almost like when the thought of it being the end times, have you noticed that there's this, this kind of like attitude that, it, well, Jesus is coming back. And we almost like throw up our hands and in, 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 when it comes to evangelism. We, we throw up our hands in what we're supposed to be doing. And we have almost like a sense of passivity when we think, oh, well, it's the end times. We're going to just have to, Jesus is going to have to come and fix everything. I think that's the same kind of imagery here as the disciples were watching Jesus leave. We're just waiting aimlessly, trying to look into heaven for Jesus to come back and just fix everything. And I think that the message is still the same today is that stop looking into the skies. Like, yes, we are awaiting Jesus's return. I I believe that it's soon. Don't get me wrong. But be that as it may, we should not stop our mission we should not stop spreading the gospel fervently. We should not p- stop praying. We should not stop doing what we're called to do as we wait aimlessly staring into the sun. We, we should be working. And I think that the ascension of Jesus, what the, the clearest and best direction that we get from it is that our job is not done yet. In fact, it's just begun. For many of us, our job has just begun. Many of us, I feel like even though I've been in ministry for 13 years, I feel like my job has just now begun. And we are called to sh- to share the gospel, to bring others to Christ, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we should not neglect our mission because of the things that are happening around the world, the things that are happening around us. But Jesus makes it clear. In fact, the Word of God makes it clear what our direction should be. That's what we see in the ascension of Jesus. And so the ending on this point is really just grasping that when we need clarity, when we need direction, go to the Word of God and go to Jesus, who is the same. He is the Word in the flesh. But go to the Word of God to get that clarity, to get direction. You feel like God spoke something to you? Confirm it with more scripture. Now let's go into... The, the next moment I want us to talk about is the point of Pentecost. Pentecost. And within this point, within this passage, I want us to, to grasp that great things are possible with prayer and with unity. Great things are possible with unity and with prayer. Now look what it says in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. It says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly... There was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were some devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem, And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Now let's pause here for a moment. I want us to pause here. And I want us to understand that all the disciples were doing was praying together. That's all they were doing. It says there are about 120 of them. And the Bible says that it was a mix of both men and women. So men and women praying together. And as they're praying, suddenly, meaning that they did not expect it to happen. They they didn't know what to expect, but it happened suddenly, moment they did not expect, God showed up. In fact, the Holy Spirit showed up. And the Holy Spirit showed up in a way, not only a time they didn't expect, but in a way that they didn't expect. And the Holy Spirit didn't just show up in a way that they didn't expect, but it showed up in a very distinct and clear way. To where not only was it noticeable to all of them there present praying, but it was noticeable to all the people around in this building, this area, to where they come they're coming and to see what is going on. And what is so powerful about this this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that it shows that the Holy Spirit that it showed itself in this like a flame, a tongue of fire, and that rested on each individual. Now, because of that simple verse, I believe that each individual has their own impartation of the Holy Spirit. That this moment of Pentecost wasn't just this flooding outpouring of the Holy Spirit to where we're just all engulfed in the Holy Spirit and the whole world is engulfed in the Holy Spirit. And it's this, this outpouring because it makes this distinction that each individual had their own flame. And it shows me that the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is individualistic. And throughout the rest of this month, we'll we'll expound more upon that. The other thing that I want to emphasize is that the Holy Spirit made no distinction. Of giving, uh, there's no distinction of seeming like one person got a more big better portion than the other. There's no distinction that women were left out of their portion, but only men got it, or vice versa. It, there was no distinction of that only the older people, the people over thirty or forty, got the Holy Spirit, but no one under twenty got it. It, it makes this 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 uh like blanket over everybody receiving a portion of the Holy Spirit, but their own individual portion. And there's this response, there's this physical response that comes from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to be clear that I do not believe necessarily that the Bible gives uh, that the Bible gives a universal principle that every person was speaking in tongues or unknown languages or different languages, but it says that there were those speaking in other languages and speaking in tongues. And, and I want us to understand that it, that it doesn't mean everybody, but that there were those who were. And that this was a, a, an event that beckoned a, a, a reaction out of their physical bodies. And I feel like there are some powerful moments with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've experienced yourself where there's powerful moments where if you're just like seeking God and you're having this moment of worship, for myself included, there's powerful moments where your body almost has this, this physical reaction to this spiritual impartation. And we see that in a, in a holy sense, and we also see it in a, a demonic sense. There's There's been plenty of times where I've seen demons manifest from people as they start having the Holy Spirit touch their soul, and this demon starts getting going crazy and wanting to come out of them because it can't stand the presence of God. Now, continuing on, it says that they were, they were completely amazed as people that surrounded the, the area. How can this be, they exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Ilamites, uh, people from Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done they stood there amazed and perplexed what can this mean and they asked each other but others in the crowd ridiculed them saying they're all just drunk that's all now let's pause here emphasis and the fact that some people, are intelligible, as they are prophesying, and they, they do not recognize it says they're all from Galilee, meaning they're recognizing that they are not people who speak their own language. And as these, these believers are uttering things from their mouth, unknowingly, they are speaking in other languages that other people around them can understand. And so the Holy Spirit is causing what is, what is called speaking in tongues in a way that is a, a langu- an earthly language that can be intelligible. And then there is also among them, people are speaking a language that is unintelligible, which is why they're accused of being drunk. And if they were speaking in a language that everyone could comprehend only, then no one would be like, they're drunk. They're speaking perfect Greek. That it, it, it wouldn't make sense. But because it says that they, there's accusations of them being drunk, it shows that there are people speaking in tongues in a way that was unintelligible speech. It was not any kind of earthly language, but of utterings and groanings, like we see Paul described later in Scripture. The reason I want to emphasize this is because I feel like this, ver- this passage shows what... Uh, the power of the Holy Spirit can do it, of how it, it reveals itself in our physical world at times like this. And look what it goes on to say. It, it, again, I want to emphasize that it doesn't say all we're speaking in other languages. It doesn't say all we're speaking in unknown languages. It, it says that some were doing this and some were doing that. And that I'm sure that there was a couple people there that were just taking it all in. Like, this is amazing. What a glorious event. It, it's it's there's, we can, we can conclude that we can make that kind of jump because it doesn't say all. Um, now continuing, it says, we just read that they're just drunk. That's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this these people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And that's the verse where it says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, men and women alike. And old men will see dreams and young men will see vision, you know, all that. And And so pausing here, we see... As the accusation has been made, do you notice how Peter defends it? Does Peter use a, a the Bible verse to defend that, the mockery? No, he uses common sense to defend that. He says, guys, it's nine in the morning. What are you talking about? And the reason I want to emphasize that is because we see in the book of Acts this first level of apologetics, the first level of defending the faith. And Peter, the very first thing he does is he uses common sense to defend the faith. And then he uses a Bible reference to confirm what's going on. And if we could understand that that is such a simple, simple aspect of apologetics, of of how we can talk about our faith, is starting with common sense, starting with the natural, and then we can share the supernatural. But start with the natural before you try to weird anybody out saying, you know trying to make these big spiritual claims when you haven't even addressed the natural ones use common sense like peter does here for like for example for me when people ask me about my faith why is it that i say i'm a christian i don't respond by giving this over spiritualized answer my response is actually really natural is that is the fact that I believe historically that Jesus really did die on the cross, that there's so much evidence that points to that. And I believe that there's an overwhelming amount of evidence that he truly did raise from the dead. It's as natural as that. Not because the Bible says it, but because of how historical and archaeological evidence suggests that. That is why I believe I'm I believe in Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ is the foundation of the resurrection and I use common common sense the historical evidence something natural to provoke something spiritual the other thing that I want to point out is as Peter brings up the prophet Joel and brings up writings of scripture to confirm the events happening keep in mind that in the gospels throughout that time where Jesus was with them the, Peter and the rest of the disciples were not necessarily knowledgeable of Scripture. In fact, the Pharisees kept recognizing them as men who were untrained in Scripture, but were those who walked with Jesus. And it shows that for him to reference scripture like this, where before he didn't even he didn't they couldn't even grasp of why Jesus kept saying that he was going to die until after the resurrection. They they never understood the scriptures and the prophetic verses that Jesus was making. But now all of a sudden he's quoting Prophet Joel. It's because from the moment of the resurrection, the moment where their faith was truly established in the resurrection, it shows that they began adamantly searching scriptures and studying the word of God to give proof to their faith. And why I find this important and meaningful is because they go from disciples to apostles after the resurrection. And it shows that there's the key change that they made within themselves. This key emphasis shows that they began studying scriptures to be able to go to that next level in their calling. And I think that for for us as believers, as no matter what what you would claim yourself as like level tier believer, all believers are called to ministry in some way, all believers are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus in some way. And the best way to level up our calling is by studying scripture ourselves, to level up our knowledge and understanding of God and get that clarity and direction from scripture itself. Then through prayer and then being united with other believers, we can make great things happen. We see this beginning moment of the early church the fact that they were studying scripture together, the fact that they were praying together, it, it it beckoned a move of the Holy Spirit that they didn't even expect themselves. If we want something powerful to happen in our lives, in our community, then it requires us to go to that next level of, of seeking Jesus, of so seeking the Holy Spirit, studying scripture, and being united in one vision. Being united, that's such a powerful concept. And... Uh, and the he's, the best way, the simplest way to do that is by praying together. So now I want us to jump into our last point is that that is the early church. And really, I want to focus on the evangelism and community of the early church, because what we see from the early church is that the power of God makes things simple. Man, we, we are not sure of making things complicated, but the power of God makes things simple. Look at what it shows uh, the first thing I want to read is in Acts chapter 3, verse 38 through 41. And this is at the end of Peter's dialogue to the people. He makes this whole dialogue talking about scriptures and and really just emphasizing the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now let's, let's stop here right now. Stop. They the he Peter just gave this whole dialogue to them this whole sermon and the people responded by saying what must we do and Peter's response to them was each of you must repent of your sins turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ now I want to emphasize a couple things one when he says each of you must repent what he's saying is each of you must change directions from where you're going your path before was willing to crucify the son of God now you must change directions repent of the past and move forward change what what direction you want to have now and start walking towards god turn to god repent simply means to change direction turn to god and when he says be baptized in the name of jesus christ he doesn't say be baptized with repentance he says change direction he says repent turn to god and be baptized in the name of jesus the emphasis here is before this point People were always, the people who were baptized by John, they were baptized in repentance. And here, Peter's saying, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, be baptized in the identity of Jesus. That is a change of direction. And that word baptism, it means to be submerged. So in a way, he's saying, be submerged by submerging yourself in the identity of Jesus Christ. It's about representing yourself as Christ, representing yourself as Jesus, and once you do that, He is the door, He is the gateway for the forgiveness of your sins. Man, that's a powerful imagery that when we are submerged, identify with Christ, it's only through that submersion, that identification with Christ, that we find forgiveness for our sins. It emphasizes that water baptism isn't just, it doesn't represent repentance, it represents the identity of Christ. It says, and then it goes on to say, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So believe and identify yourself with Christ. I believe in Christ. And then you will be filled. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. This is what I love about this part is that so often when we find our relationship with Christ, it is so personal, it's so intimate. But here he says, when you do it, God will also be calling your family, those close to you and those far away from you, that there's this, this chain reaction effect that should happen from your new life in Christ. And that that God doesn't just desire for you to be saved, but he wants your children to be saved. He wants your family to be saved. He wants those around you to be saved. All, he says all, to be saved. And then he says, Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed that what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Now, pausing again, what I want to emphasize is that Peter, in all that he's saying, he says, save yourself from this crooked generation. Think about that. We we One of the things that we think about is like, oh, our world is so bad. Jesus is coming back. Notice how even in this moment, Peter, the very first start of the church, he looks at the whole generation as being crooked. He looks at the whole generation as being wicked. And so it's not new that the world around us is subsequently evil or wicked and on, on the path of wickedness, but that this is something always in perpetuation since the beginning of the church. But because of that, we will always, as a Christian, we will always be at odds with the world around us. Our culture will never uh, fit in forever. That Christianity will always be, in a sense, exiled, excommunicated, because it's anointed. It's holy. To be anointed, it means to be separated. That's why uh, anointing often is represented as oil because when you put oil and water, it's always separated. It can never mix. And we are called to be a holy people, and we are separated from the world. That's why the Bible says Jesus Himself said that the world will hate you because you are followers of Me, and I am not of the world. If it hate me, hated me, it will hate you. And it shows that this is a clear distinction for us. And what I find powerful is that there's three thousand people that are saved that day, right? There's three thousand record, thousands of people give their life to Christ, and when you look at what Peter is saying, it, it is so simple. It, I mean, can I, can I just say something? that In our American culture, we make it so incredibly complicated when it comes to the aspect of what we think people can comprehend. When it comes to the gospel message, I remember doing a, a youth a, a youth group one time at a public school, and and I was it was this Christian club, and within the message I shared, I had another leader tell me, "Oh man, these kids aren't going to get the gospel message. You you have to really dumb it down for them. You can't share, uh, you know, the, just the gospel because you have to make it more understandable by by dumbing it down this way, that, and the other." And it, it's this idea that that we have taken as this American church culture that we have to add all these extra things to the gospel to be able to convince people to be saved. Like we'll do plays. We'll do all like these types of concerts. I mean, we'll do all these crazy creative things and like, Hey, don't get me wrong. If it brings someone to Christ, then great. But notice how in the simplicity of Peter, just talking and explaining the gospel message clearly and articulately, If you look through what he shares in his dialogue, it's simple stuff. It's not deep waters. It's super simple. He preaches the cross and the resurrection. That's it. And because of that simplicity, 3,000 people are saved. Man, think about how complicated we make Easter services. I mean, we make it so complicated. We make it like we have to jump through all these hoops and have all this the scenery, all these lights, camera, and action. Peter just shares the gospel message in its simplicity. Thousands of people are saved. It shows that we do not need all these extra things. We don't need to complicate the gospel. It is simple enough to be received. It's simple enough to bring a harvest. Now, if we understand that evangelistic power, when we allow God to make things simple, let's look at what it leads into for the early church Jumping to chapter two, verse forty-two through forty-seven, says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, into fellowship, into sharing in meals, including the Lord's supper, and to prayer all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You know, I, I know that that was a greater passage to take in, but look at what it's saying. It's saying that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, meaning that that as they were all seeking God themselves, they comprehended that they needed the apostles to also break down certain scriptures. They still went to the apostles to to help better understand and articulate the scriptures that they were reading and in their fellowship it's, notice that it's, it's talking about like how they they were studying scripture together they're they're going to church together that they're praying together and then in in the same box of prayer and reading scripture they include fellowship and eating together that these, all these things combined were a spiritual invocation. That fellowship, community, is just as spiritual as prayer. That's a powerful concept for us to grasp as the church today. And I think that's the most neglected thing within our American churches is just real, authentic community. We can do the spiritual stuff. In fact, I don't even need to go to church. I can just listen to the podcast and I'll get my church content that way. I'll pray on my own. But we neglect the community aspect of church that we need. It is just as spiritual as prayer and reading scripture. And with their unity, as they're seeking God together, it shows that there is this this miraculous signs and wonders that follow them, that there's a deep reverence among them all. And as they shared everything they had, I want to make it clear that they are sharing out of their surplus what with those who were in need. I mean, to know that, that that the church, that it was self-sufficient, that the church, it wasn't that the apostles were gathering and distributing, but that the church people themselves were distributing among themselves. It, it, it breaks that governmental idea of what we think we have to do when it comes to making a difference for the church. I mean, to know that they were sharing among themselves the apostles were devoted to teaching scripture they weren't devoted to trying to to uh, govern how the people would connect with one another and in all that they were sharing with each other they shared their meals and with great joy and generosity all the while praising god and enjoying the goodwill of all the people there i mean it's such a beautiful scene of just this church getting together and having fellowship with one another. And many were being added to their number. Many were being added to those who were being saved. Why? Because they were inviting, because they were welcoming, because they were authentic. And man, do we need authenticity in our world today, in our churches today? And I feel like that as we look at this image of the church, there's so much that we could grasp from it. But I want to end with this thought. The idea of having real community, that's what church is all about. Church is all about Christ and community. And maybe you're getting this idea of church being community and you've never had that before, and you're realizing that's something that you need in your life now. It, I, I, I urge you, whether it's Grave Top Church or whether it's another local church around you, that you need community. You need people that you can trust and talk to and walk with in your life. But the number one thing that we need is Christ. And I think that so often, Time escapes us. And sometimes there's just this wedge builds between us and Jesus. And maybe at some point you're listening to this and you realize that there's just been this wedge between you and the Holy Spirit, that there's this wedge between you and Jesus and you're recognizing that you just need Jesus in your life. And maybe you've never had a moment where you made that decision to simply put your trust in Jesus for the very first time. Maybe you want to rededicate that commitment And if that is you, the Bible makes it so simple. That's what this passage is about. It's about how simple it is to access the power of God. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is if you have an authentic heart, talk to him yourself, that that's all it takes to start this faith journey. Now, if that's you, I want to encourage you to to have that conversation today. Have it right now. Pause this video and have that conversation because you don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can talk to him yourself. If that's you, make that 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 talk, that conversation right now. Now for the rest of you, if, if you are trying to get connected to a community, I'd love for you to join us in person at Top Church, or even just try sending us a message, comment, do something so that you can start the process of getting better connected with the community. All that being said, I hope that this message was edifying for you today. I hope that it made a difference in your life. If Grey Top has made a difference in your life and this ministry has made an impact for you and you want to help us to continue to make an impact for- for others. You can do that by going to GraveTopChurch.com and click the Donate tab. You're, if you have it on your heart to donate, it really does help us to grow as a church, to grow as a ministry. But we want to make it clear that we never want anyone to feel pressured or persuaded to give when they don't want to. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. Right before that verse says, do not give out a compulsion. God cares about our heart more than anything else, especially when it comes to our giving. And so if it is on your heart to donate, we want you to know that it does make a difference. We are simply a steward of your gift. It's an act of worship between you and God. It's something so personal, so intimate between you and God. But when you use Grave Top to to worship in that way, you do make a difference. So all that being said, we love you, church. Hope you have a great rest of your day. We'll see you next time.